At this time, we'll dismiss the boys and girls to junior church. I forgot to do that last week, and uh, I blamed it on the junior church work or my daughter for not reminding me. Because half the kids were there and half the kids were still in here, but that was my fault for forgetting. So always uh, wave in the back. But you guys can be dismissed um, to junior church if you would like. Um, I love that last song. It's one of my favorite songs to sing, especially in a big congregation. Um, but I love that last verse, uh, wonderful grace of Jesus, reaching the most defiled. If you're saved, you understood that you were the most defiled, and yet somehow, someway, the grace of God came to us, reached us, and saved us. And I don't know about you, but I feel like Paul all the time, the chiefest of sinners, and to know the fact that he died for me because he loved me and I'll spend eternity in heaven is an amazing, amazing fact. Again, I want to encourage your heart that um, every week you're here is a reminder of the resolve that we have. We still have a pandemic. We still have everything in the world going on. And that's besides all the stresses and all the different things that went in our lives before that. And here we are every week, people that come to worship together. And that's an awesome, awesome thing. If you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 16 is where we're going to be today. Matthew chapter 16, first book in the New Testament. I hope you're feeling well. Obviously, there's plenty to pray for. And pray about there's plenty of people that are out because they're sick some are traveling but um obviously it, it notoriously has always been flu season and now it's cold flu omicron corona whatever other kind of thing it is season so just pray for everybody to be healthy but thank you for being here let's pray and then we'll look at uh, matthew 16 and get going Father, once again, we come to you, Lord, needing your grace to be able to do this today, Father. As we open up the Word of God, we know it is perfect, it is infallible, it is inerrant. And Father, for us to do a spiritual work as to look into the Word of God and to be changed by it, we know that it, that it requires supernatural working. Father, we don't want our time here to be what we're used to in the normal occurrences of life, Father. We don't want it to be what everybody else in the world is used to. We want it to be in the presence of you. We want to be changed by you and your spirit. Father, thank you that we can meet together, Lord, despite there being so many sick. Lord, I pray, Father, that you continue to work in our midst, open our eyes and our hearts to be able to see these things today. May it challenge our life. And, Father, if there's anybody here today that needs to be saved, I pray, Father, that you would draw them to yourself and save them. Father, allow them to make take that step to come unto you and call on your name to save them. And Lord, we love you, and we ask for now your power and your anointing and your presence. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the neat things about Disney World, and I've said this before, but you'll get to know me more and more, that I love Disney World. I love going there. One of the neat things about it is the character greeting. I mean, if you're a kid and you like games, uh, my, one of my kids, um, or I guess a couple of my kids, they just got the Minecraft Disney World uh, server, I guess it's called. And they literally have everything there that's just like Disney World. But one of the neat things is the character greeting. And even in the Minecraft version, they have character greetings. You can get there, and you can get their autographs. And the costumes are fantastic. I mean, Disney always does a great job of the costumes, and they do an amazing job. Now, have you ever been to Times Square? How many people have been to Times Square within the last 10 years? Uh, a couple of you do. There are also characters in Times Square. Now, you're kind of chuckling because you understand when you go to Times Square, you might meet a six-foot-two Elmo. You might also meet a five-foot-four Captain America. And you might also meet a 110-pound Incredible Hulk. And you might see 
10 different Elmo's right next to each other. As if your kids now had to pick out which one's the real Elmo. And, and, you, and you know, right? And, and, and by the way, if you've never been there, don't take a picture with them because immediately they want money. And they'll, they literally will chase you to be able to collect that money. They'll be like, you know, following you because they expect that they did, they, you thought they were doing a good deed. They were not. They were charging you before you even realized it. But what I'm trying, I want you to think about today is that when you see those fake Elmo's and those fake Captain Americas and Iron Man and whatever other characters are there, you know the ones in Times Square especially are not the authentic ones. You know that they are the phonies, the fake. I'm sorry if I burst your bubble and you have a picture with one of them and you've been taunting it around town saying, look, I really met Captain America, and you go ahead and keep on doing that. But you know those are fake and phony ones. And though the ones even at Disney are not even entirely authentic, they are of the company, but that's not the exact one that was in the movie, in case you didn't know that. But um, that's not even the authentic one. But there, what I want you to see today as we look in Matthew chapter 16 is there is a distinct difference between that which is authentic and that which is not. Distinctly different between that which is real and that which is fake and phony. Now we come to Matthew chapter 16. Begin reading with me. You read in your, in your mind and I'll read out loud uh, verse number 13. The Bible says, when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said unto them, but whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gate of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then charged he his disciples that he should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again on the third day. When Jesus began his public ministry, he really turned the entire world upside down. He really turned things upside down. The status quo was completely broken from everything that they were used to. The religion of the day was Judaism, but it had become Pharisaical Judaism, a work-based religion where one had to keep the law plus other man-made laws to find favor with God. I mean, what the Pharisees did was they took the Mosaic law and they said, okay, we've got to keep this, and then I'm going to make extra laws, and we're going to keep those, and we're going to do those to just prove to you how spiritual and how much we love God and, and how much better we are than you, really. And, and so they emphasized even these laws that were not there. So when Jesus came to fulfill the law and to offer up the kingdom and eventually bring in the dispensation of grace, many of the religious leaders were resistant, and many of the religious leaders despised Jesus. And they looked for any potential loophole to discredit him and to discredit any claim he had to be, uh, be claimed to be God, and they even tried to kill him on multiple occasions. <clears throat> Things like when he healed on the Sabbath. 
and they bypassed the miracle to condemn when he healed. I mean, I, I emphasize this all the time. Instead of being amazed and in awe by the healing that he did, they're like, but you did it on Saturday, so it doesn't count. Or what a blasphemous thing, rather than seeing the miraculous supernatural thing that was. And they were so focused on the little things, Jesus said that you, you strain at flies and gnats, but you swallow camels whole. Now, some of the people despi- uh, so some of the people despised Jesus. Others were excited about the miracles that Jesus had done, and some were indifferent. But just about all of them had no clue who Jesus really was at the time. Some did, but very, very few did. And that's one of the reasons Jesus begins this question with his disciples. Who do men say that I am? Now, they had been following Jesus for some time, and um, they had witnessed the feeding of the 5,000, and they witnessed the feeding of the 4,000, which was another account. And later on, they heard his parables, and they, they, they heard the Sermon on the Mount, and they had seen many things that Jesus did, and they followed him. And so Jesus begins his questions to point out that there is a difference between what is authentic and what is real and what is fake and what is phony. And so I want to I kind of draw these distinctive questions out and ask you this question, or pose them and then ask you the same question. So number one, there is a distinctive difference between how the world views Christ and how his followers view Christ. Look at verse 13. And by the way, if you're new to church or you're relatively new to church, this is the most important question that anybody could actually even ask you. So look at what Jesus said. He says, and when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus asked his disciples, What's the word on the street? Who do people think that I am? They've seen miracles. They've heard these miraculous things. They've seen um, some things that they've never seen before. What is their estimation? What is their analysis? What is their conclusion? And the people there said, well, started saying, Well, some think you're Elijah come back from the dead. Or come back from heaven, right? Because he had never died. Come back from heaven. Other people think you're John the Baptist. Some even think you're Jeremiah. And some are not sure, but they think you're some kind of prophet. And then Jesus asks this important question, but whom do you say that I am? Now I want you to ask yourself that question today. Whom do you say that he is? Now if we were to go around this island, we were going around our community, and we were to ask, who do you say that Jesus is? If we were to go around the world, and even past people like historically, like Gandhi, who do you say that Jesus is? You're going to get a lot of common answers. You're going to get some answers that, man, he was a good teacher. I mean, we love Jesus the teacher. If we were to go to Islam, we would hear he's a prophet. Um, <clears throat> we would hear he's a good moral man. You might even get people to say he was the son of God. You might even hear things like he is the savior. You might even say he was a historical figure. You might even say he was, some might even say he was a myth. Can I tell you this? It doesn't matter what anybody else says who he was. I'm going I'm to point two things out to you. Number one, he was who he was regardless of who, say, who people say he was. But number two, who you say he is, that matters more than anything else. 
Whom do you say that Jesus is? If I were to ask you that question today, who do you say that Jesus is today? We find that Peter answers the question, verse number 16. He says, who do you guys say that I am? And Peter says, and Simon Peter answered and said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. (coughs) Peter jumps right in. He's always the zealous one. He's always the outspoken one, it seems like. (coughs) And he says, we know who you are. You are the Christ. Now, Jesus' last name was not Christ. Christ meant the anointed one. It meant the Messiah. (coughs) So when he said, you are the Christ, he was claiming you are the Savior. You are the promised one. You are the only way to heaven. You are the Son of God. You are the Son of the living God. You are God in the flesh. They were announcing their belief. Now, if you think Jesus is a good person and a moral teacher, and you think that he is changed the world, and you even think he's the Son of God, but you don't know him as your Savior, can I be blunt today? Then you are not going to heaven. The belief in God doesn't get anyone to heaven. I don't know if you, you knew that. I, I think you did, but I don't know if you did. Bible says in James that thou believest there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. Thursday night we preached through um, Luke chapter 8 and Jesus comes to the shore with his disciples after a, a, a kind of a rough uh, sea going and, and there's a man possessed with demons and the demon possessed man comes there and the demons begin to speak and they say, Jesus, son of the most high, What does thou have to do with us? The demons recognize Jesus, and yet they're not going to heaven. They're not born again. They're not redeemed. Friend, Jesus has to be your Savior. Who do you say that he is? And that's not for you to answer me and give me an answer that I'm satisfied with. I don't allow you into heaven. I'm not the one that's going to vouch for you. There's going to be nobody that's going to vouch for us in heaven other than Christ. We don't get there and say, well, he said he was a Christian. I saw the works he did. I'm vouching for him, let him in God. That's not the way it's going to work. Jesus Christ, do you either have the Son or you don't? He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son hath not life. That's as plain and simple as it gets. And so when Jesus was asking, who do men say that I am? (coughs) For them to recognize he was religious was a great thing. For them to recognize that he may be a prophet was a great thing. And by the way, he was prophet, priest, and king. So they weren't wrong there, but they didn't go far enough. True believers know that Jesus is the only way to life. Universalism, which says all roads lead to heaven, is heresy, false, and it damns people to hell. Work-based salvation, which says Jesus Christ plus my good works, is heresy, and it damns people to hell. You and I, like we sung before, are the most defiled. We cannot add our good works because the Bible says that all of our works are as filthy rags. We cannot do enough in order to earn our way to heaven. It was he and he alone that purchased us with his blood and death on the cross. And so when they said, who are, who do men say that I am? They gave answers that were all wrong. Whom do you say that I am? And Peter says, we know thou art the Christ, the anointed one, the Savior, the Son of the living God. Friend, who do you say that Jesus is today? I want to ask that question again. I want to put that upon you. 
If he is just a moral teacher, that's a problem. If he is just good enough to need your works to get you to heaven, that's not good enough. There is one name written among men whereby we must be saved, and that's Jesus Christ. And you need to evaluate that today. You need to look at who do I say that Jesus is. And if we're made up of a bunch of believers here today, we ought to be in unity. We ought to be on the same page when we say, who is Christ? He is the Savior. There is no other leeway. There is no other person. There is no other way in which we have allegiance to. We are submitted to God. He is our Lord. He is our Savior. He is everything. He is our all and in all. That's what it ought to be. And that ought to be your mindset. Who do you say that he is? And so we can understand here that there is a distinct difference between how people view Jesus and how believers view Jesus. And I want to also point this out. There are a lot of buildings open this morning that have the title church on them, that may even have a cross on them, that may even say the name Jesus on them or, G, or, or preach about it or sing about it. But because they're off on salvation, they don't view Jesus as the Christ, the Son of the living God. And there's a lot of people going there fully satisfied that by going there, they're going to be in heaven. And the reality is, until Christ is their Savior, they're not. There's a lot of false churches out there. There's a lot of false churches that have the wrong Jesus. Remember what uh, Paul preached, and Paul wrote. He said, if any man preach another Christ, let him be anathema, let him be accursed. There are ways to preach other Jesuses. I don't know about you, but our Jesus is the Christ, the Most High, the Son of the living God, God in the flesh. I want you to see number two this morning. Not only is there a distinct difference between how, how believers view Christ and how the world views him, but number two, there's a distinct difference between an assembly and Christ's assembly. Well, what does that all mean? Well, the Greek word for church is the Greek word ekklesia. And ekklesia was used in the city-states. You know, if you understand Greek uh, history a little bit, you'll understand that they were city-states that made up the nation of Greece at the time. And when the, when, the, when the church was announced, when Ecclesia was announced, it wasn't religious. It meant the citizens of the particular city-states would come to assemble together for a town meeting or assemble together for whatever the business of the meeting was. And so they would be called out and come. So the word church, or the, the English word church, the Greek word Ecclesia, wasn't always used in a religious sense or wasn't always l used in a Christian sense. But notice what is said here. Verse 17, and Jesus answered and said unto them, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood have not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven, means God testified, you're right, Peter. I am the Christ. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. When Jesus said, my church, it immediately became distinctly different than any other church. Now, I understand in our Western cultural understanding, in our modern understanding of the word, when we hear church, we're thinking religion, and we're thinking Christianity, and we're thinking Jesus and, 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 and that kind of mindset. But back then, the disciples wouldn't have thought of it that way. They would have thought the meeting, the assembly. And so Jesus said, I'm going to build my assembly, my church. 
And there's going to be a big difference between an assembly of people. Now, here's what I want you to get at. Here's what I want you to realize. There are a lot of different good groups that meet together. AA meets together and they're trying to help people overcome an addiction. And you have the different lodges that may meet together and they may have good concepts together. And you might have the Rotary Club meet and you might have the, the, the Knights of Columbus meet. You might have the Library Quilting Club meet and you might have all these different groups meeting and that is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But I want you to understand something. There is a distinct difference between Jesus' meeting and all those other meetings. All those other meetings might have good things, good intentions, but when Jesus' church meets, it is supernatural. It is his organization. It is his organism. It is him coming together um, and bringing his power upon his place. There is a distinct difference. We don't just meet together just because we want somewhere to belong. We don't just meet together because we want to have some place to kind of have an identity in. Those things might come with it. But Jesus said, my church, my assembly, all those other places are built with people who don't know Christ as their personal Savior. They're going to be uh, met with people who have different things that unify them together. But his church is going to be made up of only born-again believers. And by the way, not to kind of uh, drive this point too much, but I want you to understand something. And don't take this offensive. I'm just trying to give you biblical instruction. Just because you attend church doesn't mean you're part of the church. Does that make sense? Only born-again believers are part of the church. His assembly will be made up of only people who view him as the Christ. It will be made up of people who are born-again believers and it'll be made up of baptized believers. Uh, Places like Acts 2.41, the Bible says, and they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. The first step of obedience after salvation is, that has nothing to do with salvation, by the way, but is to be publicly proclaiming through baptism, I am a believer. So his assembly is going to be part of baptized believers. His assembly is also going to be organized together to carry out his work. We're not here for social reform. We're not here for, um, to fix politics. We're not here to fix all the problems of the world. We're not here to fix all the poor things in the world. We're not here to fix um, all, the, all the injustices in the world. Some of those things may be addressed as we come to Christ. We're here to honor and please the Lord. And so we're here to follow him, organize together for his work. Now, his work might include some of those things, but I want you to understand something. Be, just be clear about it. We are the Lord's church, not our own. We're the Lord's church, not some kind of organization. So his assembly is going to be carried together to carry out his work, to carry out what he wants, to advance the kingdom, to see people saved, to perfect the saints, to edify the believer, to be able to train each other up and encourage one another in the Lord to be able to do those things. I, my church, he says. Look at verse number 18 again. And by the way, can I also say this? This is where a lot of people get off on things um, in whole giant organizations of church. I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Some people look at that and say, well, Peter must be the rock in which the church is built upon. 
I want you to understand something. The word Peter means little stone. You know, his name meant little stone. And, and Jesus said, upon this rock, he was meaning himself. Jesus is the rock in which the church is built upon, not Peter. Peter was not the first pope, as someone false, some people falsely claim. Peter, he's saying, you are the little stone, but upon this rock I will build my church. He was using a comparative understanding there to be able to say something different there. And he says, I will build my church. Now here's what I want you to get from that. There's a distinct difference between a church that man builds and a church that Christ builds. Now, let me ask you a question. Who is responsible for building the church according to this verse? Jesus. He says, I will build my church. Listen, all the way before you object. Now, I hear all the time. Look at the work that preacher built. Or, man, I built the work. Listen, if man built it, then it's man's work. And if Jesus builds it, then it's Jesus' work. So how can we tell the difference between a man-built church and a Christ-built church? Not numbers, right? No, not at all. Because when Jesus started his church with his disciples, how many people were part of that? Twelve, and one of them was Judas. Jesus did not have huge numbers. <coughs> And, and, and even after he ascended, there were only 120 that, that met in that upper room to pray. You realize that because of man's desire to be entertained and sensationalized, that a man-built church will often yield more numbers than a Christ-built church? That doesn't always work that way. But if we, wanted, if we got together and said, okay, let's build something for numbers' sake, we could do that easily. And we can compromise in many areas. We can give people what they want. You know the whole seeker sensitive movement? You know how that kind of started? Uh, people like Bill Hybels out in Willow Creek Church in Chicago. Him and his group went knocking on doors and said, what do you want in church? And the people in the community started telling them what they wanted in church. So they said, we want, we want shorter sermons. We want, lo- we want more entertaining uh, things. We want food courts. We want uh, no problematic things. We don't want any, a, any hard preaching. We don't want any uh, things mentioned about sin. We don't want to f- feel guilty about things. And they started to build their church based on those things. You know what? They built a very, 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 very big church. And I'm not, I'm not attacking anyone's ministry or attacking anybody, anything else out there. I'm just saying that's not the way we want to build a church. We don't want to build the church based on man's doing. No church can be built on anyone's personality, anybody's doing, anybody's clever uh, CEO-ing, I'm making that a verb, CEO-ing of something uh, or great organization. We sit back and we wait on the Lord and we say it's his church and he said he'll build it. Doesn't mean we're not involved. Doesn't mean that we, we're, we're not going uh, to uh, serve him. We're going to get to that in a minute. But what I'm telling you is this. How the church is built matters, and Jesus said he will build his church. And that ought to take a lot of pressure off everybody here. It's not your job to build a church. Your job is to be faithfully serving as God plants you, as God directs you, as God points you. The rest is up to Jesus. He says, I will build my church. It's not built on the promotion of man or ingenuity. It's not built on entertainment or programs built on Christ. 
And a Christ-built church is going to promote Christ. It's going to promote His holiness. It's going to promote His Word. It's going to promote the foolishness of preaching. The Bible says that He chose the foolishness of preaching to save those that believe. It's going to promote strong doctrine. It's going to promote His name. A church that Jesus built will be foolproof against the gates of hell. Because the Bible says here, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. If you're new to the church concept, I want you to understand something. What you're meeting in now and what you're kind of investigating whether you're going to be a part of or not, and this journey that you're on is unlike any journey out there. It's not to be mimicked by businesses. It's not to be built upon individual. It's to be built by Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, the risen Savior who empowers us and leads us according to his will. And so as each of us is obedient to the call of Christ and each of us is obedient to the will of God, he's going to put us in the place to do what he wants us to do. It's not going to be built <coughs> the way the world builds things. It's not up for us to build the church, but it's up to follow and obey. By how? By not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. You know what that means? The Bible says in Hebrews, forsake not the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. That means when the church is meeting and you can be there you be there that's what it means don't forsake it you come how are we going to build the church by going into the world and preaching the gospel these are not man's ideas this is what jesus said he said go and preach the gospel to every creature by forsaking all and following him the bible says hey listen forsake all and follow me that's how your life ought to be if you want this church to grow what does the lord want of you Forsake all, follow him. By confessing our sins to Christ. The Bible says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. By praying without ceasing. The Bible says, pray without ceasing. It's one of the surest verses in the Bible. We ought to always be in a state of prayer. Always be in, in a conversation with God. It doesn't mean that you be like a monk and go to a monastery somewhere. It just means that you're in a constant, perpetual state of prayer. By serving the Lord with gladness. The Bible says, hey, listen, serve the Lord with gladness. Christ wants to build his church, and he wants you and I to be instruments in his hands. But you've got to be here, and you've got to be serious about it, and you've got to be saved and baptized, and you've got to be confessing your sins before the Lord, and you've got to continually be praying, and you've got to be serving the Lord with gladness. He wants to use you, but he won't if you aren't here. He won't if you're not cleansed as you should be. He won't if you aren't serving like you want to be. Not if you're obe not obedient. So it is a distinction between how people view Jesus and how believers view Jesus. There's a distinction between his assembly and every other assembly in the world. There's a difference between how man builds his, his groups and how Jesus builds his groups. But, and can I also say on this point, Jesus didn't worry about numbers. Now, every number is a person and a soul, and he desires that not any should perish, so he wants everyone to be saved. But he does not feel like a failure at the end of the day because the, uh, you know, the Knights of Columbus had more meeting than he did, or the concert had more, or, or Madison Square Garden was more filled. And he's not, he doesn't feel like a failure. Because he's not trying to build what the world's building. And by the way, let me also say this. 
if man builds a church, then man's got to keep the church built. And that is fallible, and that will fall apart, and that will be, that'll change from moment to moment. We don't want that. We want what Christ is building. We want Jesus to do. Let me give you one last one. And this is where the application starts to come in. There is a distinct difference between the spectators, the anticipators, and the, particip uh, and the participators. So spectators, anticipators, and participators. It's a shame that there should be such a distinction in church. Let's get to that. I'll assume you believe that Jesus, or that many of you believe Jesus is the Son of God and you're saved. And I'll believe that many of you have already attested that, yes, there's a distinct difference between church and every other group out there. And, and let me go back to that point for just a second. Some people say, oh, you got your church, I got my this. No, no, they're different. They're different, they're not on equal footing. And I'll assume that you realize that Jesus builds his church, and it's not up to us to scramble and, and use the world's methods. It's up to us to be devoted to God and let him direct. <clears throat> but let me ask you this. Are you a spectator, an anticipator, or a, par a, a participator? Spectators are there just to observe. Of course, they're not very involved, so they don't come to all the services. They don't serve in any area. They just come watch and watch and watch why christ said the fields are white already on the harvest but the laborers are few it's why when when people are going out to serve in different ministries only two or three may show up it's when uh, it's why when you have a bible study maybe there's only a small little handful um it's maybe when when you go out street preaching or door knocking there's only two or three anticipators are those who want to see the blessing. I want to see the church grow. I want to see people saved. But they aren't involved. So spectators just watch what's going on. They just come and they're kind of the consumer mentality. They just take and take and take. Anticipators are at least a little more actively involved. They're like, man, I really hope we're revitalized. I really hope exciting things happen. I really hope that the Lord does the work. But they're not involved either. They, they want the Bible studies, but they don't want to go. They want the outreach, but they don't want to be part of it. They want the kids' programs, but they don't have their kids involved. They want there to be classes, but they don't want to teach anymore. They want to be a nursery, but I'm not doing it. They want there to be youth group, but don't ask me to volunteer. Don't bother me with whatever it is. Sometimes this group is complaint-orientated, too. I'm not, again, it should have been done this way. It should have been done that way. That wasn't good enough. You know what I found out in years of ministry? The ones who often have the most critiques are the ones that are involved the least. Because the ones who are involved, they're discussing along the way what should be done. The Monday morning quarterbacks, you know what a Monday morning quarterback is? Tomorrow... There'll be a lot of people saying how the coach should be coaching today's football game. Like if the Bills lose to the Jets today, I'll be complaining all day tomorrow about like, you know what they should have done? They should have done this and they should have done that. They should have done this. I do that all the time. But I'm not, I'm, I'm not involved in the Bills. They don't care what I have to think anyway. Anticipators and spectators often say, I should have been done. Spectators are just kind of watching. But anticipators say, man, it should have been done like, if it was done like this, it would have it been better. Why don't you do it? 
I don't have time. You pray about it? No. A church ought to be made up of not spectators and not anticipators, but participators. You know what participators are? I think you can figure that out. Those that are doing, serving, praying, attending, helping, hoping, whatever is necessary, they're there and involved. Now, I'm not saying that a participator is always someone that has to have their hands in every ministry. No, that would be detrimental. But it's somebody who is praying actively, that is there, is encouraging one another, finds a place of ministry. And by the way, a place of ministry doesn't have to be an organized positional ministry. It could be a person-to-person ministry. I say this to my church all the time. Sometimes when people come, they're looking for you to be there, even if you're not the one talking to them. Your smile, the way you talk, what you do brightens their whole day, and they came for God, of course, but they came to be encouraged by you, and you're like, I didn't even talk to them. I know, but you brought them comfort. And so when you stop coming, they're left with a void. They miss you. They're like, well, where is that person? How can that person doesn't come? I miss them. You are a lot more used by God than you think you are when you'll put yourself in God's way. So participating doesn't mean, oh, I get a position of title. No, no, who cares about that nonsense? Matter of fact, I could care less. I could care less. You guys call me Jason. I don't care. I want you to respect what God respects, but I, me personally, I'm just a nobody, the most defiled. I don't care about being called pastor for myself. To honor the Lord, sure. But to honor me, no. I'd do this if there was nothing involved and God wanted me to. Why? Because I hope it encourages you. I hope it challenges you. Sometimes I hope it rips your face off. Preaching's supposed to. Sometimes. Some, you know, all preaching is aimed at a decision. Do you know that? And when, there's different teaching. Teaching is we're informing you on facts. Preaching is we're informing you on facts, telling you what, what God says, and hope it changes your life. That means you've got to make some decisions in your life. Whatever it is, you might be, right now there are ladies cutting bagels. And how do you think you got them, right? Cream cheese and butter. Someone, someone picked them up this morning. Someone called them up this morning. People gave to be able to get those. Uh, before you came, someone put the heat on. Somebody made sure the church was clean. Somebody um, got, got all the poinsettias out of here. And uh, there are a lot of things that go behind. That's their serving. They're serving. They're serving. Without titles, without applause, they're doing it because they're serving the Lord, because they're participating. So there's a distinct difference, friends. What goes on here? Let me recap this and what's about to be done. There's a distinct difference between how the world views Jesus and how his followers view Jesus. Let me ask you, who do you say that he is? Is he your personal savior or is he just a good moral teacher? Number two, there's a distinct difference between an assembly and Christ's assembly. You want to be part of all those other clubs out there? I, I love baseball. I love coaching baseball. I'm part of different board meetings for baseball. I, I like going to those things. You know what? It's not the same. This is His assembly. It's way different and supernatural and to honor Him. So there's a difference between Christ's assembly and every other assembly. Number three, there's a distinct difference between a church that man builds and a church that Christ builds. And I don't know about you, but I don't want nothing to do with a man-built church. Nothing. 
They look shiny, they're impressive, but they're man-centered. And I want nothing to do with that. I want it to be God-centered. I want it to be Jesus-led. At best, we're under-shepherds and, and servants, unprofitable servants, at best. I want Christ to build the church. Number four, there's a distinct difference between spectators, anticipators, and participators. Which one are you? You just watch? You just hope? But do nothing? Or are you participating and serving as God has asked us to? It's funny. Jesus went around preaching and doing miracles, and the vast majority of people still got it wrong. Matter of fact, sometimes his disciples even wondered if they got it right. When he was crucified, they said, man, maybe we were wrong. They weren't. He came to seek and to save that which was lost, and he came to die for our sins. I am excited to be part of a church that he builds, that he directs, that he purifies, that he calls, because he died for me, and I know this, and I'm telling you this straight up. There's no other way to heaven but through Jesus. I'm, I'm pleading with you. There's no other way, friends. You can't earn it. Only through him alone. Let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes. Who do you say that Jesus is? Maybe you have this is what the question you need to be asked today. Do you think he's just a good moral person? Do you think he's just a good religious teacher? Do you think he's just an adequate person to follow? Do you think he's just a good example for your family? If that's the viewpoint, that's okay. But I'm pleading with you to go further. That's not enough. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He is the Savior of the world. He is the only way to heaven. He is God in the flesh who died for you and was resurrected on the third day and ascended up into heaven where he lives still. Friend, have you ever been saved? Have you been born again? Every week I ask this question and every week I'll continue to. If you died today, do you know for sure you're going to heaven? Have you called on Christ to be your Savior? You're here today and you say, Pastor Jason, if I were to die today, I don't know if Jesus is my Savior. I don't know if I'd go to heaven. Would you please pray for me? Would you quietly raise your hand that I might pray for you? Don't be embarrassed by that. Who is Christ to you? Is there one like you that today that says, I'm not sure I'm going to heaven. Please pray for me. Awesome. Let me ask this next question. How many people here say, the Lord spoke to my heart today. I want to serve him more. I want to be used of him more. And I'm, I am availing myself to him today in the way he spoke to me. Would you raise your hand that I might pray for you? If God spoke to your heart to challenge you to do more for him. Okay, I see your hands. I see your hands too. God bless you. Hey, how about be a participator? How about, and if you can't be in a ministry per se, then you pray, pray. All is vain unless the spirit of the Holy One come down through prayer. And when the disciples said, how come we can't cast out these demons? And I'm not saying we're casting out demons today, but I'm saying and when they asked, how come we can't do this work? He said, this kind cometh only out by prayer and fasting. 
there is a major, major work that's done by prayer and fasting. You can do that at home. Anyone can do that. We need servants of God who understand the distinct difference between church and everything else. And we don't want a man-built church. We want Christ-built church. And we want Christ to use us. So let's stand to our feet, head bowed, eyes closed, no one looking around. I want you to take a few moments. If you want to come pray, you come pray. You want to come pray for your church, you come pray for your church. You want to come pray to be used of God, come pray to you be used of God. Whatever it is, as the piano plays, why don't you come, or at the very least, sit there and reflect on what God may be speaking to your heart about. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. You know why both our churches are still alive throughout the pandemic and all the obstacles? It's not because there was a lot of clever people. It was Jesus kept us running, and he used people to keep it running and to thrive even at times. But it's always about him. I remember even as a preacher years ago, coming across that verse and realizing I will build my church. I went, well, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. It's not about me then or what I can do. It's about what Christ does how he use us and friend you ought to get excited because that part of participating is not just about you better do something it's about man we get to do something we he'd use me in his church yeah i'm still fascinated by every single week when i'm still here shocked fascinated thankful humbled we get to serve him friend Think of the disciples, they got to walk with Jesus. We get to walk with him. Yeah, we still do dumb things, but we get to walk with him. Man, what an awesome thing. There's still time to pray. There's people praying, friend. You can pray if you'd like. But ask yourself, who, who is Christ to you? And ask, what can you do? What, what does God want you to do? What is he calling you to do? How would he use you? You say, I have a burden for this, but there's no ministry for it. Then start one. Anybody can start an outreach to whomever. I don't know what to do. Just serve where God's put you. That's where you'll find what to do. Just be faithful. Keep on keeping on. And on that journey, that's where you find the will of God. That's where you find what he commissions you to do. Now the song is, have thine own way. Yes, Lord, have your own way. We'll keep carrying because people are still praying.
Father, we're so thankful, Lord, that you are unlike any other. Father, we don't have to pick through Buddha and Confucius and Muhammad as if they're all worthy candidates. You alone are God. Thank you for loving us and showing us that love, Father, despite the fact that we were sinners. Thank you for revealing yourself unto us and drawing us unto you that we might be saved. Lord, I also am so thankful, Lord, that we get to be part of your assembly, your church, that you promised to build it, that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would use us to have the to, to be instruments in your hands, humble, dull instruments in your hands, but empowered by the Spirit of God that we might accomplish your work, not for our glory, not for our name, but for thy name. And Lord, I pray, Father, that we'd all be challenged to go a little bit further, do a little bit more, go the extra mile for service to you, Lord. Whether our name ever gets recognized, whether we ever get applauded, Father, rather we'd rather not get recognized than applauded, that our pride would not struggle with it. We want you to get all the glory. Lord, I pray you challenge people in the areas continually. You know the hearts of the people. You saw the people that are saved or not saved. I pray, Lord, that you would bring them to your salvation if they're not saved. Lord, for those that want to serve and be part of, Lord, I pray, Father, that, that you would show forth what to do. Lord, those who need to be baptized, I pray, Father, that they would take the step of obedience to be baptized. Whatever it is, Lord, I pray that you continue to work in everyone's life. Bless the fellowship and refreshments we'll have in a little while. Bless our week and our day. Thank you, Lord, for using us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Brother Greg.